I'm Chris Doolin, and you're listening to Discussing Trek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS all-access series Star Trek Discovery. Today, we are going to talk about the fourth episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery, entitled An Oboe for Sharon. So, guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. I'm Clarence, and usually I'm joined by the rest of my fellow co-hosts, which are not here per se. Now, we did have a mishap in our recording earlier this week, but I am going to present their conversation at the end of this. But I wanted to get some of my thoughts about this episode out in 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 a quality that's a little bit more listenable than what what I had before. So so I'm just going to give some of my thoughts first, and we're going to dive directly into their thoughts on an Obel for Sharon. So and am I am I even saying that right? Sharon 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 Sharon. Anyway, uh, again, series two, episode four, which aired February seventh, twenty nineteen, was directed by Lee Rose who also directed Choose Your Pain from last season. And Opal for Sharon gives us an in-depth look at the would-be death of a crew member as Discovery serves as a conduit to ferry an ancient life form through its final moments, while Ensign Tilly continues her battle with the alien entity she calls May. So I'm going to give just real quick my general thoughts of the episode and I'm getting to a few details. So my overall thoughts of this episode, I found it very uh, sort of methodical in its approach. I felt maybe it's my least favorite of this season, but again, there are plenty of good things to be had in there. Uh, Mainly, I think the whole Saru storyline and how it paralleled what we see from this sphere entity I really love how they paired it together and, 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 and had sort of that parallelism going forward of, of their journeys in this particular episode. Though I have to say, I do have issues. I do take issue kind of with, with what we got with Stamets, Tilly, and Jet Reno. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. And honestly, man, I I loved Tignataro in the episode, the first episode, brother. I thought she did really well in that. But for some reason, it seems like to me her comedy is wearing then in this episode and i'm it's starting to kind of uh as kyle put it it's starting to kind of know me a little bit um very unconventional means of doing things the whole gum thing was very cringeworthy um and you know she has her uniform open and, and is walking around like you know that's how it's supposed to be and so you know that kind of stuff it it just kind of gets on my nerves I know what they're going for. They're trying to lighten the mood, bring a little comedy, especially with what we have going on on the other half of this episode, uh, or the other side with Saru and, and the Vahari and 
this sphere entity. So they, it was meant to lighten the mood, but but uh, in particular, she just wasn't that fun to me in this episode. And I know some people are going to love her. So if you do, that's fine. Please, please send in feedback and tell me why you think Tig Nataro is so fantastic in this episode. You can send that in at fans at discussingtrek.com. Again, that's fans at discussingtrek.com. Or you can hit us up on any of the social medias at Discussing Trek. So again, I didn't like that. Um, there were some pretty modern jokes in there uh, and they escaped me right now, but it seems like there were some pretty modern jokes in there that, in my opinion, just did not feel right for Star Trek. Um, so uh, there you have that. And also the whole Trek no babble in this episode, you know, Stamet speaking really, really fast and sounding really, really smart and talking uh, and all these technical terms, which, you know, really don't make much sense. Uh, I love to see Stamets doing that. I, you know, that is Stamets. I love seeing him do that, do that. But in my opinion, in this episode, it just didn't feel uh, tangible. It didn't feel right for some reason in this episode. And then you have the whole thing that's going on with Tilly herself, this spore entity. I do love the first contact moment we had with her and the spore entity where we find out that, you know, every time they traverse the spore network, they're 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 killing they're killing a little a little spore along the way. So um, I I think <laughs> this kind of spells in the end for the spore drive, unless they can broker some kind of deal with the spore entity race, um, in some shape, form, or fashion. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is going to be the reason we don't see the spore drive going forward, and it could even lead to maybe even a war, uh, between the two species. So who knows? Uh, it very much reminds me of um. Uh, the, the species 8472 in fluidic space, you know, uh, just out of the realm of normal space time, but their universe or their domain is treaded upon and they come across to strike havoc with the Federation and mainly the Borg because that was a Voyager story. And I th- think the Borg were the cause of them coming across in the first place. But we have that and we have this kind of this hallucinogenic moment between Stamets, Reno, and, and as well as uh, Ensign Tilly, Mary Wiseman. So I don't know. And then you had the crudeness of drilling in her head for the um, the neurostimulator, which we've never had to do that for neurostimulators before. Uh, this is an earlier time, so it, it makes some sense. And maybe it has happened and I just don't remember. So the drilling was a bit much to me. But, you know, I think the next episode will very much focus on that whole arc. Um that kind of, as you will hear from the rest of the discussing trick pundits in the latter half of this episode, they really didn't like that as well. So let's get into maybe the main storyline. Again, we have these two arcs. We have the whole sphere entity and Saru's oncoming of Faharai. And then you have the Stamets Reno Tilly battle with the Swore entity arc. We have that one out of the way. So let's talk about a little bit of the the main, what I consider the main storyline of this episode with Saru, the sphere entity in the Vaharai. Uh, we see, uh, Commander Una coming aboard the Discovery to talk with Pike. First off, I think Rebecca Romaine of Mystique X-Men fame. <laughs> I'm sure she's done other things that have been more popular than that, but, but that's what I remember from the X-Men movies. Yes, Mystique. And, you know, I, I loved her. I thought she did really well in this episode. 
to me, she just snapped into the role and she fit the part. So I want to see more of her. And I thought her and Pike's chemistry in this episode was magnetic. So I want to see more of that going on. We get the offhanded comment about the the holographic communication systems wreaking havoc aboard the Enterprise, to which Pike says, um, let's rip it out. Let's rip it all out. You know, you know, I don't think anybody will love the Enterprise as much as our current engineer does. Yeah, just wait. But, you know, again, a nod to maybe rectify the canon critics or, or um, you know, give a nod to those guys. Uh, and, you know, that's just that's the second time I think we got that canon critic nod in this episode, along with maybe the the end of the spore drive as we know it. And then we have the holographic systems being ripped from the Enterprise. And I think maybe something will happen. And the guys talk about it in the latter half of this episode as well. But they talk about how maybe that could lead to the system being ultimately banned across the fleet, uh, maybe for a security reason or something. Who knows? You know, rectifying canon. That was cool. So what uh, Commander Una delivers to Pike is a bit of information that they have illicit, illicitly come across some information that tells them where Spock is. We are we've been able to follow his work trail from Starbase five. Yeah. So I kind of have a problem with this. Seems like Pike is allowing a lot of illicit things to go on. Now, I know we're in the time he's under these orders to find out what's behind these red bursts, but he is letting a lot of things go, which I really don't know how to feel about that because I really love Pike. To me, he is the quintessential captain. Um, You know, I'm not really speaking blasphemy against Kirk, but 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 Pike is freaking awesome. I love him. He just fits in the role. And, you know, every now and then we see where he's letting something go, which, you know, you have to make those judgment calls as a commanding officer when to maybe uh, skirt around the rules or go against the rules a little bit. But it just seems like it's happening a lot. So who knows where that's going to go? But anyway, we got this information. And and again, like I don't even know the justification for making it illicit information. You know, they could have just very well have made it information that they got through a very justified means, but they chose to make it an illicit gathering of the information, which I found very funny. So it seems to me that's two episodes in a row where we're seeing he's doing things a little unorthodox or against the rules. Again, we can go back even a one episode more when we think about the sport jump. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where they continue to go with that. But, you know, we follow the warp trail and we're pulled out of warp by this sphere entity, which uh, is downloading a crap ton of data into the discovery. Now, this this act provided maybe one of one of my favorite, you know, maybe two minutes of Trek. It's, it's definitely up there in, in one of the top moments because I loved how it set up this moment where everybody is speaking a different language, you know, just from the technical aspect of being able to pull that off in a television show. And it made me wonder, like, does does most of these actors already know a different language and they kind of just played on what these guys already knew? Or did some of them have to learn these languages? So, you know, I can't really speak to the accuracy of each of the uh, uh, delivery of the lines, but, you know, I thought it was just a fun fun bit of chaos 
that we had there on the bridge. And that was very awesome to see. So again, like one of my favorite moments. And then we got a chance to see Saru shine as we got the information a couple of episodes ago that he knew over 80 languages and he got to put that to use. So we also see where Saru is starting to go through what he he says is a common cold at first. But we learned that it's actually the onset of the Vaharai. Now, if you watch the short tricks, it's this is a pretty cool bit of information here because it directly plays into that episode or that short trick where we saw the carrying out of the Vaharai and how Saru you know, wanted to be different and he wanted to uh, be more. But, you know, we see the Vaharai brought back in this episode and we and Saru believes it may be brought on by this sphere entity because of Saru's ability, ability to be empathetic, which, you know, we kept hearing empathy reiterated in this episode, which to me felt a little out of place because we didn't really hear that much before. I can't say I do kind of feel like Saru is a, a empathetic being, but they really, really stressed it in this episode. And they explained it maybe for the reasoning of why he's going through Faharai, because this fear is dying. And um, he is trying to because of Saru's empathy, it struck on or brought on his Faharai. Now, we do find also Saru is able to kind of learn or figure out what's going on with this him along with Burnham are able to figure out what's going on with this sphere entity. And they are able to deduce that the entity is dying and it just wants to dump all this information. You know, lucky us, we get a treasure trove of thousands and thousands of years of information that can maybe aid us on this journey going forward. So, you know, maybe a good point to bring in a, um, a reasoning that, that could maybe solve a problem a little bit later that we got this information, you know, it's going to solve so many problems in the future. So I really think that's really cool. And who knows if it's not even part of the star charts and things going forward um, in Starfleet history for that matter. So, you know, I thought that was pretty cool as well as, you know, we see, we see Saru going through this for and how painful it is for him. And Doug Jones just does a fantastic job does a fantastic job in this role here. And it was his moment to shine though. You know, one of my issues with the episode is that the pacing felt a bit off. It felt a bit off. It felt like it was just, it was just slow. I don't know. It just felt very slow. And, you know, if you look at the gravity of what was going on, I can say it was justified. I can say it was justified. I've seen the episode twice. So maybe I'll watch it again to see if I still feel that way. But to me, the pacing just didn't feel right. But again, it could be because we kept cutting to the whole um, Tilly thing going on, which felt like it was only loosely tied to what was going on on the rest of the ship. So we have this moment of Saru and he knows that he's going to die and he enlists Burnham to uh, sever his uh, threat ganglia. And man, uh, unlucky Burnham, because I wouldn't have wanted to do that. I think it was John that mentioned that or no, it was Carrie that mentioned that it was a very logical thing to do in this situation, which he's exactly right. But man, poor Burnham having to to off this being that has slowly over the years, not always a perfect relationship, but this guy has become her brother. Saru has become her brother. As we see, she's battling with 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 the notion of seeing her foster brother again. We see where she actually has another brother and it's Saru. 
and they've grown close over the years and they've been through hell and high water together. And I just think back to episode three of last season when Sarusi's Burnham for the first time uh, and he just is not having it. And somehow by the end of the season, she is able to foster his love again and they are friends once again. So uh, just a testament to the art Burnham went through in season one. And also maybe Saru's quote, I'm holding up quotes here, empathy that allowed him to maybe, maybe relate to uh, Burnham. So, so yeah, so she's given this impossible task to cut his threat ganglia loose so he can die a dignified death. And lo and behold, uh, his threat ganglia fall off. And now Saru, oh boy, oh boy, man, you guys, Saru is going to be different. He should be different. And, you know, I want to see what Doug Jones is going to do with this because Doug Jones has a, a big task ahead of him, I feel, cause, cause, because while Saru is going to be the same person, you're going to talk about it later in this episode. But but now he's different. He His fear is gone. He's more powerful. He is a different Saru. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. And I want to just just really quick hit on. And I'm not going to speak one way or the other, but I'm just asking you guys to think about were the Bayul, were they intentionally killing the the Kelpians in order to not let them get to their natural state? Because they knew on Kaminar, if the Kelpians were ever able to get to their natural state, they would be freaking unstoppable. So was the was them not allowing them to reach that state just a way of keeping them in submission? That's what it sounds like to me. And I think we also talk about maybe a good point that was brought up. Are the threat ganglia even a natural part of their physiology? And that's something to ponder. Maybe it was we know the Bayou are more highly advanced than they are. So could it even been introduced to their race at some point to keep them in submission or subservient? So that's something real cool to think about. But again, like Saru without the fear and, you know, feeling powerful, as he said, could be really freaking interesting. And uh, I'm going to agree with John as you were here later on. Um, he might get a little out of hand. So we'll see. So, guys, yeah, I, mean, I think that's my high points for this episode. Uh, I'm interested, interested to see where Saru goes from here. I freaking love the Tower of Babel moment with all the languages. That was just freaking fantastic. Uh, Commander Una in this episode was great. And, you know, I'm anxious to see where they go with this. I'm anxious to see where they go with the whole Tilly thing, even though it kind of felt out of, out of place in this episode. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that and where they actually go uh, uh, with that arc over the next few episodes and also, you know, finding Spock, the search for Spock is on. So, so hopefully we can uh, get back on their warp trail, that warp signature and actually find, find Spock, Mr. Spock. So that's going to be fantastic guys. What did I miss? Uh, please again, send feedback into fans at discussing trek.com. So this next half or this next, uh, act of this <laughs> episode is actually going to be the discussing Trek pundits giving their thoughts on an obol for Sharon, including Jonathan Shorts, Carrie Brown, Cal Jones, and Jeremy Barrow. Here we go, guys. Take it away. My initial thoughts on this episode were... I don't know. Um, It seemed a bit um heavy, but at the same time, I didn't think it was that deep. Does that make sense? 
It makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess those are my thoughts. All right, Jonathan, what say you? Uh, I'm I'm agreeing with Carrie, and he actually described it perfectly. I I was actually having a hard time trying to figure out how I would say what I wanted to say, and I, it's like there was not a lot of substance, but it was like you got that feeling in your throat cut type deal. Like it was like, ah. But I mean, it wasn't a like a emotional deep. Yeah, I don't know how to. Carrie said it best, and I, I, I mean, overview. So, but it was still a great Star Trek episode. So, hmm. Jeremy, what about you? Well, I kind of almost agree with Jonathan in that it was a great Star Trek episode, but it was actually a great combination of Star Trek episodes that I've already seen from Voyager. <laughs> um, it, it just kind of combined two different. It just seemed to me kind of combined two different episodes. I don't know if that was intentional or not. What episodes for Voyager? Yeah, there was there was an episode where they um, were being engulfed by this entity. Oh, okay, yeah. Gotcha, and then yeah. there was also an episode on the subplot, a different episode where like Kess was being her aging was enhanced. Okay, from, I got you. from something else. That you know what? On. That did seem familiar while I was watching it, and that I guess that would be it. So I mean, I, I don't know if it was an intentional rehash or if it's just you know just kind of how it worked out. So it's interesting, you know, uh, Jeremy, it seems like you and I tend to often disagree on points. But in this particular time, my synopsis or my summary that I wrote down is almost verbatim as to what you said, because I wrote down that it was like you took two points from Voyager and meshed them together and made an episode. So kudos for you, for you and I agreeing. Uh, This this may be a first for us. I think so. I mean, which is cool, but you know, it's interesting because that was exactly everything you just said was exactly how I saw this episode as far as the overall you know, concept of the story. Right. It didn't make it a bad episode by any means. It's just, that was my first thought was I've already seen this, you know, two different, you know, two different episodes and they just kind of brought them together. So I want to talk for a second about the concept of Tilly and Reno and Stamets what did you guys think of that? I'm not sure, you know, how I felt about that entire uh, subplot, if you want to call it that. But what what did you guys think of that? So anybody, what did you guys think? Um, I liked it, but I don't think it it just didn't feel like it fit this episode. Hmm. So I think, it, you know, it just it just seemed out of context for what was going on with the rest of the ship. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Jeremy, like. And to kind of elaborate on that, and that whole like banter, like back and forth, they that whole thing was pretty cringe. Like it just didn't really seem. It seemed kind of forced. Like they wanted to make like Stamets and what's your name? I can't remember her name. Reno. They tried to like intentionally make them like adversarial towards each other. When in reality, like I don't think that I don't know. It's, it's that whole thing just seemed kind of forced to me. Not to mention the whole like. Cocoon, parasite, <laughs> weird, weirdness. Like I, yeah. The whole overall that little subplot. I'm agreeing with you guys. It just kind of felt like maybe it was didn't belong. It looked like it should have been kind of a standalone episode, maybe. Because I kind of felt myself kind of tearing between worrying about Saru or worrying about Tilly, and I think I care more about Saru than Tilly. 
But the chewing gum thing, like when she asked for the chewing gum, I was like, please don't you don't do this. This is don't do it. It's not good. Like and I already knew where it was heading. But other than that, I kind of like her character and I'm glad they're introducing her. And I guess it's more she reminds me a lot of. I guess just the way she approaches things reminds me of Chief O'Brien on DS9. And it's just that classic old school Star Trek engineer. Like he's going to get it done. It may not be conventional, but you know, if it, if it has to be solved, O'Brien is going to solve it. And you may not be the way Starfleet says so, but he's going to get it there. Duct tape and wishes. There you go. Pretty much. And I, I kind of like that. So I, I think if it was a competition between her and Stamets, I think she won that. See, here's yeah. my thing with her. I liked her the first time I saw her. She irritated the heck out of me in this episode. I, and, 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 and it was the gum. It was the abrasiveness. It was like, just go away and let Tilly and Stamets deal with this. I mean, she, she really kind of irritated me. <laughs> now, see, okay. Well, Kyle, our, our, our <laughs> partnership's coming to an end here, I guess, because I've, I've kind of the other way around. She, she didn't annoy me the first, the, her first episode, but she just didn't appeal to me the first time. And this time I really enjoyed her presence. <laughs> I mean, it still felt out. It still felt, you know, overall, like it didn't belong for this overall episode, but I, I enjoyed her more this time than I did the first time. That's where I am with her is like, I like her character. Like, don't get me wrong. I really like her character. But when I say it seemed kind of cringy and forced, it's like, they were like, oh, shoot, we need to put her in an episode. And they just right. kind of like threw her in here. And it's like, let's make them go back and forth with nerd babble. And, <laughs> and you know, it's like. You know going to be my next question? Did anybody even remember or hear like her explanation of why she was there? Like, did she just walk in? She said the chief engineer sent her. I thought Stamets was the chief engineer. And that was something else I was going to bring up. I oh, didn't know they had a chief engineer. Well, I assumed it was Stamets. Well, you know, most every other series, there's been a very defined chief engineer. There's been a chief medical officer. And, you know, not so much focused on the the others on the deck, on the on the main deck. But it's kind of they flipped it on us now where we don't know who the chief medical the chief medical officer is. We don't know who the chief engineer is, but we know who Dittmeyer is at the con. And we know all these other people sitting on the deck doing all these other jobs. But why would you not know who the chief engineer is? This ship has the, a, a new state-of-the-art type <laughs> experimental engine of sorts that, that like, propose... I, I just don't understand. It makes the ship go. Why wouldn't the engineer be involved all the time? Okay, I got an easy answer for that. The chief engineer is making sure that their holographic display system is working at full <laughs> force, unlike the yeah. USS Enterprise. A lot of this episode felt like it was trying to fix this, this fix series future. into canon. You know what I mean? Like it was just too conveniently placed. Like there's like we have to come up with something, and that's what I feel like from that. My my whole problem with this episode as a whole is that I guess notwithstanding the whole like cocoon time warp subplot thing, you could pretty much just skip this episode and you wouldn't miss out on anything. Agreed. I mean, I'm, that's not to say it was a bad episode. I just don't think it really advanced the story at all. Right. You know? If you didn't if you didn't watch this episode, you wouldn't miss the overall arc. 
and it's like last, like you watch next week, and it's like last episode. Tilly got swallowed by a monster, and now she's just like, okay, that's all you need to know from that. Like, there, yeah. Well, I mean, I did get to see a lot more Saru, and they kind of tied into the short trick. So, I think that alone made it a worthwhile episode. I just. I mean, it was just bothersome to add in all this other garbage that they put in with it. I mean, even with the Saru thing, it's like the, the, he like he was dying the whole episode. There was nothing there. He was just like, oh, it's time to. <laughs> uh, I must go to my quarters and die. <laughs> I just got one question. This is my doofus shucks howdy, not a Star Trek person. Okay, so they go to warp. Why don't they just jump to him with the spore drive? Is there a reason why they don't do that? They've already established that they're using it now. Well, I think at one part they did tell Stamets to prepare because he may have to jump. Or that was maybe after they were trapped. Uh, Yeah, I think that was. Oh, but you know, they had that thing trapped into in the the spore drive hub that he connects to. Yeah. The, the cocoon monster. Right. He was trapped. So I guess they couldn't. I guess. I, I don't know. I, I was under the impression that they kind of tabled the spore drive unless, like, absolutely have to. Yeah. I think they kind of grouped it as, like, if it's absolutely necessary to complete this mission. Yeah. And I and I guess, really, they're, they're chasing Spock using some uh, illegal, ill-gotten information. So... They can't really say, hey, Starfleet, it was important we did this because we had illegal information to get him. Yeah, but how many times, you know, have we seen captains of Enterprise or captains of Voyager or captains of DS9 or whatever, captain of whatever? They don't always follow the rules. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We've already established in this discussion that he has no problem breaking protocol. I mean, like that... I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird to me that they wouldn't jump to him. As important as Spock is, like, to this entire plot, you know, and supposedly to him, I would just be surprised if he had his trajectory. He, You know, it just seems like it would make more sense. But, I mean, I guess I had lit more, more... There was that and then the whole getting pulled out of warp thing. Like, is that... Is that... Has that been... A, is there precedence for that in Star Trek? Yeah, it's happened, yeah, it's happened many times. times. So every 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 ship that's in warp flight, they have to sustain their flight within a warp field or a bubble around them. And if anything breaks that bubble or disrupts it, it knocks them out of warp. And don't ask me the science behind that, but <laughs> that's what's happened many times. I'm curious uh, about Saru, to be honest with you. Did anyone think while watching this, because I'll go ahead and answer this question before I ask it, because I actually wondered this and thought this while watching. Did anybody think that Saru might actually die in the episode? I wasn't sure. I was sure he would not die up until the point like when everybody stood up on the bridge and he was heading back to his quarters, like they made that moment seem like we were about to lose a main character. I I was like, there's no way Saru's going to die. They're going to figure out something. But we got to that point. I know we're getting a little bit closer to the end and they have not set this up yet. I think we're going to actually lose Saru. But then when he says, you have to cut my ganglia to kill me, I I was like, okay, they're getting ready to stretch this out and something's going to happen and he's going to live. Okay, I got a question about that whole thing. All it's right. stupid. So, 
I don't know how long Kelpians have lived. I'm assuming a couple thousand, maybe a thousand, a couple thousand years, you know, considering how far humans have, you know, lived at this point. You mean to tell me not one Kelpian lit, like all the Kelpians before him killed themselves before their ganglia fell off? No, like every, they are. Like everyone. You remember on the short track, they were all like it get to a certain point and they were to sacrifice themselves to what they worshipped as a higher being, which is actually another alien that was I guess, feeding off of them. Yeah. But, it, but but they said that not all of them were eaten by this. And thing. he said he said those are the ones that they either had to, I guess, in so many words, kill like he was talking about or they went mad or insane until they died in a painful death. So let me ask this question. I, I I don't I didn't under I guess I didn't really understand. Like I thought the ganglia was just like, you know, like spider sense. Yeah, like like, like I didn't know it was like it's their fear itself. Like you lose that, you lose your fear. I thought that was just the response to fear. Like it, it just seems like at some point somebody would have been like, Oops, I waited too long to kill myself. My ganglia fell off. I'm not afraid. Like, you know, it just you know, just I guess the thing that gets me was just the sheer happenstance of the way it was presented in this episode. It's like, oops, we waited too late and they fell off. Just just like looking at it, just plainly looking at it, like really, like did not one Kelpian like say, you know, maybe <laughs> the person that was going to cut his ganglia, like drop the knife or broke it and had to go get another. And then like just so happened it fell off and then just so happened they found like. That could have happened. You know what I mean? Like, not one Kelpian had that happen. So do we know if the ganglia were originally a part of their biology, or was it something introduced by this higher, um, this uh, predator species that preys on them? He Good said point. they were born with them. And the, when he first explained them, he said, all Kelpians are born with this as a, as a warning to danger or to the death. But I think what he's asking, though, is that something that was an original part of the species oh, okay, or, okay, you know, did this predator introduce to the species that has, you know, become part of their physiology? Hmm. Hmm. OK, I, I have one more question to ask you guys about this and I'm done. It's it's kind of like a rhetorical question. OK, so is he not afraid because he lost his ganglia or is, did he lose his gang- ganglia because he's no longer afraid? Huh? Oh, uh, no, that's deep. Was- so is anyone else feeling like I'm kind of like worried, like the way he said, I have this power is like, <laughs> I'm worried he's going to change it to something bad. <laughs> like he, he's going to start ripping people's throat. I mean, he's, we already know he's super fast and super strong. So. <laughs> so <Saru Wait>, smash. <laughs> See, I'm just kind of worried. Like it kind of goes back to the, corny line with great power comes great responsibility like i'm worried he's like you got someone who was so i guess you could say oppressed and withdrawn and fearful and then all of a sudden you like in a short moment you take all of that away and now all he feels is the power to impose his will you know what i mean like i think he's gonna for a moment i believe he's going to kind of go overboard like well, and, and I kind of agree with Jonathan on that, you know, because Saru is he's very intentional and very calculating because of his fear. So is this going to make him, you know, reckless and, yeah, 
you know, is he going to be more irrational and rash and just start doing things because he know he's not afraid of it anymore? Right. Because that fear was almost like a, a checks and balances for him. I'm telling you, the way he said all this power, I mean, that was like almost diabolical. My closing thoughts on this episode, I just want I think it was a decent episode. It was pretty good. But it's just as Carrie said before, it seemed it was very heavy, but not deep. And that's kind of how this episode felt. I would, uh, you know, I would just say as parting thoughts for this episode, I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best, uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. And for anyone <laughs> listening, I would say uh, go to DiscussingTrek.com. Uh, each episode for this series, Clarence has done a written uh, recap of the series episode, the particular episodes. So, um Go check that out, and that can be found at DiscussingTrek.com. Carrie, what about you? Um, I guess overall, um, I didn't have a huge problem with this episode. I did have a bunch of, like, not really WTF moments, just but but a bunch of, like, what's happening moments, um, which I have thoroughly described, so I won't go back into. But one thing I will say is that I hope that um, in the next few episodes they try to, like, you know, tie up all you know try not to have all these storylines going on at once you know i i really like it when they do plot and subplot not plot subplot subplot plot and sub sub subplot just give me two things you know let you know and just try to develop the story more i just i don't know this episode almost to me felt like kind of a filler episode even though i know some things happen that you know will carry on through the rest of the episodes I just feel like for the most part, you know, great. They got some data from a star like whoopee. Like I, that whole <laughs> thing was just didn't really do anything for me. But no, I didn't. hopefully they can, you know, refocus the plot and, you know, get things back to where they were. Like I, to me, this episode felt like a step back, but it's all been good. though. Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Um, I, I mostly agree with everybody. It was a good it was a good episode. It didn't really advance much of anything. Like overall, you can just kind of hit the highlights and you'll be good. But, you know, there's like two better Voyager episodes that you can kind of watch instead. Hmm. But it was, I mean, it, it was, it was good, but it just, you, you, like I think, uh, Carrie said at the beginning, you can kind of catch the recap at the beginning of the next episode and you'll still be okay. They'll be analyzing this data for hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are back. Such a freaking interesting conversation from those guys. They were freaking fired up. And, and, and the truth of the matter is we did the original episode and I was in there with them, but I was driving from a remote location somewhere in the southern part of the United States. And my audio just was horrible. And, you know, I, we managed to to edit me out and still have a pretty good conversation with the rest of the guys. And I just thank them for being on with that because I just thought they were uh, very informative on that episode and had a lot of good points that made me think just a little bit more. So I always love those guys and thank them for being on. Again, that's John, Carrie, Cal and Jeremy, the tech story and Trek story and who story and Stargate story in 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 awesome fashion there. So if you want to know more about those guys, I will say uh, as a parting gift, uh, check out J and J starts talking on any of your 
podcasting platforms. Check out J&J Start Talking, where they take on, you know, interesting conversations about whatever. And it's always good stuff. Uh, they had a recent episode where they were talking about the recent uh, uh, con- controversy over toxic masculinity, which I thought was pretty interesting. So make sure you check out J&J Start Talking for Jonathan and Jeremy, uh, their podcast, which is awesome. Also check out Techpedition. Techpedition is a tech podcast that talks about recent tech news and events. So definitely check that out. My brother, Carrie, the, the tech story is a freaking beast when it comes to talking hardware. He is the freaking man. If you want to know about latest graphic cards, processors, and we even go into some of the uh, intellectual property things and some of the happenings of Apple and different technology companies. So if you're internet, check out Carrie and I on the Techpedition podcast. That's T-E-C-H-P-E-D-I-T-I-O-N dot com and last but certainly not least if you're into doctor who and who's not if you love doctor who please check out discussing who which can be found at discussing where we talk about all things doctor who definitely check that out and if you want to know about things that i'm working on in the in addition to techpedition also go to discussing network.com where it houses all the other discussing centric podcasts that I'm on. So please check that out. And lastly, I want to say on the podcasting platform that you're currently listening on right now, please go on and leave us a five star rating and leave us a review. And all I ask is make it good. Make it good. We really appreciate that. So, guys, once again, thank you for joining us for the Discussing Trek crew. I'm Clarence. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.